This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hey, good morning. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Day. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us. I hope you survived Cristobal. Okay, it's been a little bit breezy up in this part of the state. I know there was some flooding down on the Gulf Coast. Um, my heart is with everybody who's been affected. I saw some of the damage around Waveland and Bay St. Louis and even into Gulfport. It's just uh, the storm surge is a little bit higher than they thought. So anyway, I hope you're doing okay. Um, been a tough couple weeks. And of course, we, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. You know, you know, this show really is the show about conversations. And we do. We, we talk to people every week and you know, usually it's pretty easy for me to talk to folks. I don't have any problem. In fact, sometimes my wife says I'm pretty bad at that because I generally talk to everybody and sometimes it's, it even annoys her. But sometimes conversations are hard to have. And um, right now in this country, we are having a conversation and we're having a conversation about racial inequities. And that is a tough conversation to have. And it's something that's been going on in this country for a long, long time. And sometimes it's just easy to ignore it. And it's sometimes not a good thing when you do ignore a problem. And so I, our guest today has been on before. He's, he's really just a really wise guy. Not a wise guy, but he's really a smart guy. And I really love talking with Dr. Robert Luckett. He'll be joining us today. He recently even had um, a column in the New York Times about the shooting in 1970 at Jackson State University. He actually is a professor at Jackson State University. He's an associate professor in the Department of History. He's also the director of the Margaret Walker Center. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, how do we get this conversation going? And obviously, talk is great, but we got to figure out, okay, what are some things that we can do to to take action. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about that. Obviously there is a tropical now, I think depression that is going up through the state of Mississippi. It's heading on out toward Louisiana and Arkansas, but there is quite still a lot of rain in the state and a lot of wind. I noticed a few small trees down in my neighborhood over the weekend. So that was a little bit rough. Um, hope you're okay. Like I said, this is, um, hurricane season started June 1st. And so we are on the 8th. So we've already gotten the first pitch and it was right toward our head. Um, I don't think anybody expected it to be at least to have as much flooding along the Gulf Coast. I was even seeing people vacationing as far away as Gulf Shores and seeing some of the water there. I know there was even flooding in Mobile. So um, there's going to be a little bit of damage on that. I was speaking uh, Mississippi today. I do a Zoom interview with different leaders around the state every week, and I was talking with Billy Hughes, the mayor of Gulfport, and he was talking about some of the preparations. And of course, it's very hard to prepare when your budget has been wiped out because of COVID. And so, um, you know, he was just saying he was hoping it wasn't going to be too bad. I did notice um, some pictures along the beach area that were underwater. I think they had like a five foot storm surge. So that's going on in other news. And I, I joked earlier today, I said, well, on the good side, at least the asteroid missed us because we had an asteroid heading toward earth. And as way 2020 has been so far, you kind of figured it probably was going to hit us. But then I was thinking, well, maybe the, I don't know, maybe the asteroid just didn't want to hit us. Maybe it didn't want to come down here. I don't know. But the protests um, around the nation have actually, taken a turn. I mean, they've kind of 
turned more positive, more peaceful, which I think they were peaceful to begin with. They were just obviously people that were out there causing problems. And, and so, but over the weekend here in Mississippi, we had incredibly powerful and strong and positive uh, protests that were basically everybody, black, white, green, you name it, were out there. And it was just very um, encouraging to see that, to see that we, that we did such a great job. Um, the organizers just hats off to them. It was very well done. Um, and so anyway, it was, that was over the weekend all across the state. There was one up in Starkville that was very positive. There was one in the Delta. There was one down in Gulfport. And then of course here in Jackson. So anyway, uh, hats off to the organizers for doing a great job getting it put together. And, you know, I mean, that's just kind of where we're at right now. And of course, COVID is still out there. And I mean, that's, you know, you're just trying to think, okay, now what do I need to do to get through this? And, and I was trying to think about it too. And, and I, I really have worked, struggled to keep a really positive attitude. And I know probably you have too. Uh, this has been tough. And I'm not just talking about what's been going on recently. I'm talking about what's been going on since, you know, COVID hit. And it's, it's been tough because obviously the economy, the jobs report came out last week and it, the unemployment had dropped to 13.3%. But then they said, well, the numbers aren't quite right. It's probably a little bit higher than that. But so, I mean, we're still dealing with a huge economic problem, which is hitting people um, all over the map on this thing. And this has just been really tough. And so I was reading... I forgot where I actually saw this statistic, but that one, I think, I think it was in the New York Times, one third of Americans are suffering from clinical anxiety or depression. And I can believe that. I really can. I've actually seen higher numbers in, in a couple of other surveys. And of course, it's obviously, how do they know? I mean, that's, you know, you can't ask every single person that, but it, it's been a really tough um, go for everybody. And so, I just wanted to say, if you're having some tough times, do not hesitate to find somebody to reach out to, whether it's your pastor or it's your, you know, your religious leader or, you know, find somebody that's a counselor to reach out and talk this stuff out because, you know, we're going to be okay. I mean, I think we're all going to survive this thing. We're going to have some conversations that need to be had. We're going to talk and I think we're going to grow out of it and be better. But there's still a real sense of loss right now. And we have talked about this so many times in the show where people are feeling like, you know, there's no sense of hope or whatever. And, and, you know, we've got to get past it. We're dealing with those 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 five uh, stages of grief like we've talked about. And, um, you know, we're going to do this together. And, and that's the thing. All of this, we're going to do this together and we're going to be OK and we're going to get through it. Um, but, yeah, no, I know there's. There are times, and, and I feel like sometimes, because I've been just producing a lot of content, and I know you've probably been busting it at your job too, and it's like, okay, I'm going to try to do as much work as I can, which means I will sit in a chair from 6.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night working on stuff, and then suddenly my back freezes up and I can't walk, and you know, you're just like, okay, this is nuts, and I think we all just need to take a day, if you've got it, to take a day and just breathe and take a mental health day and to be able to relax, but that said, um, there's a lot of really great stuff going on. And we do have um, Robert Luck is just a fantastic guy. I mean, I just like him on a personal level as well. And I think he's going to bring a lot to the show today. And I'm really glad he's going to be on. And I'm glad you're here, too. I'm glad you're listening. Um, you know, it's just, you know, what else can you say? It's just kind of um, it's, it's, it's a tough time. It really is. And I think we're all going to come out of this stronger and we're going to come out of it better. So, Michelle, 
I'm looking yes, forward how you to doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, glad you made it in. I know you you were you kind of came in late today, so you've been busting it uh, to get the show going. Thank you for all your hard work, and you know I, you know how much I appreciate you. Of course, and today, so. like you said, today is going to be a great show about a conversation that needs to be had. Now, everyone around the world, not just America, is having this conversation about equality in the world, not just America. So I can't wait to talk to Dr. Uh, Luckett about his take on all of this. And he has a very good insight on um, history of America. So I can't wait to talk to him. I agree. I agree. Because if your friend's hurting, you need to have that conversation. So anyway, it's time for us to take our first break. And when we return, we'll welcome our guest, Dr. Robert Luckett. If you'd like to be part of the show, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB. Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Hey, you're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Dr. Robert Luckett is the Associate Professor in the Department of History at Jackson State University. He's also the Director of the Margaret Walker Center, and of course, he's a friend of the show. He's been on before, and I'm glad he's on again today. Robert, it is always good to talk to you, my friend. Um, Thanks for taking the time out to be today. I think the world's a little bit different than the last time you were on it, but in a lot of ways, the issues are still the same. Absolutely, for sure. And thanks for having me again. It's always great uh, getting to be with you a little bit. Yeah, good. Did you have a good weekend? <laughs> Had a good weekend. I mean, uh, a transformational weekend in many ways. Um, being at the protest in downtown Jackson and the rally um, was inspiring and really just a remarkable moment of solidarity um, with just as diverse of a group of peaceful protesters really demanding justice, and um, it was a remarkable weekend. I, I you know, I, I was not able to go, and I regret that because I really did want to get down and go to it. But I will say just from all my friends that went and the people that I don't know that went and the media coverage of it, it seems like not only the, the organizers do a fantastic job on it, but everybody all the way around from, you know, from law enforcement to everybody, it just was a very positive, uplifting day. It really was. It was a remarkable spirit. And, um, you know, I saw the um, cartoon that you did of the uh, older generation of activists passing the baton to the newer generation. I thought that was just right on the mark. And what you saw was really incredible leadership from young people. But the truth is, young people have always been at the forefront of, of important social change. And so, yeah, it was a great day and I think a remarkable moment for uh, the city of Jackson and the state of Mississippi. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I did that cartoon, I did really fast. And of course, I did have a um, a grammar bust in the T-shirt, which I've since come back and fixed. You know, you got to love that. But, yeah. um, you know, I have had so many civil rights veterans on, you know, whether I've interviewed them on television or interviewed them on on um, radio, and they've all been so incredibly passionate. And they go and they talk to, to 
you know, they go talk to schools and they talk to classes and, and, you know, it's like, sometimes they felt like they were frustrated, but I feel like that they've got to feel like, okay, well maybe that that baton has been passed off because it really, and, and it always takes something I think to, to, to fire up. Cause I mean, Vietnam, for instance, people got very involved when the draft was there, for instance, right. um, with, with protests against the government. But like I said, I, I think you're right. I think that um, they should have a big smile on their face on that. I tell you, let's go to you real quickly and talk a little bit about you so that folks can get you now in case they missed the last time you were on. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, who you're, how you grew up and your parents and how you influenced the, what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Jackson in the Jackson area. My father was a school principal down in Richland where I went to uh, school for 12 years. And my mother uh, owned a graphic design company in Jackson called Communication Arts. And um, I really grew up in a family that was really remarkable for my demographic as a white male Christian uh, in Mississippi and in Rankin County, and that they really instilled in me the importance of uh, justice, social activism, uh, equality for all people, basic kind of fundamental human dignity for all people. And that really kind of set the standard for me. And um, I left for college uh, and ended up doing a PhD in history at the University of Georgia in civil rights history and came back right at 11 years ago to start working at Jackson State in the Department of History as a civil rights historian where I had a tenure today and also run, as was mentioned earlier, the Margaret Walker Center, Special Collections Archive Museum dedicated to the African-American experience and the COFO Civil Rights Education Center, which is a wonderful museum that in 1964 was the headquarters for Freedom Summer. And amongst other things, I also have the great pleasure of serving on the Board of Trustees of Jackson Public Schools and has fueled a lot of my interest in the history of public education in Mississippi. But uh, at any rate, that's kind of the, my background and what's brought me into the work of, of civil rights and social justice and just um, you know, having parents who really instilled that in me at an early age and reflected, not just, didn't just teach it, but they reflected it in their actions, right, and how they treated people and the work that they did in their own lives. So I grew up in kind of a, a different type of social circle than most people, like I said, of my demographic, but it certainly raised my consciousness in a way that informs the work I do today. Yeah, and I think, I think that that is the tough part right now is a lot of people – you know, I would, I hate the term woke, but George Floyd's murder and seeing that on TV, I think a lot of just outraged so many people across the board. I mean, it's almost like the Me Too movement in the sense that suddenly everybody's like, oh, okay, this is wrong. And let's start talking about it. And let's talk about the past. And what can we do? I mean, why do you, I mean, obviously the murder was horrible, but why do you think that it's happening now? Well, uh, first of all, I would suggest that what we're seeing around George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor is nothing new, that there's a, a pattern of this right. throughout American history and a pattern of resistance and protests related to systemic violence aimed at marginalized communities, particularly African-American communities. And in Mississippi, we've got, a, of course, a long history of that. Uh, I think about Jackson State specifically, you know, this spring we um, commemorated 50 years since the police shootings on our campus that left two young men dead, 400 rounds of ammunition in the span of about 28 seconds into a woman's dorm, unprovoked. 
Um, and there were demonstrations then. In fact, most people don't know that the wall that is built around the governor's mansion today was built because of the protests after the Gibbs Green tragedy at Jackson State in 1970, because of the people who went downtown and demanded justice, justice that was never served. So I think there's one thing that has really, though, sparked even that much more outrage today around um, George Floyd and, and, and these other um, recent um, assaults uh, and, and murders. And, and that's, I really think a lot of it is the historic context of being in the middle of a pandemic and how devastating yeah. that has been to so many people, right? So people are already um, hurting, right? They're, they're already suffering. They're already struggling and they're already upset. And they look at a power system doesn't support the majority of working people and, and poor people in America and urban people in America. And so um, it reached a moment where all of that pent up outrage and frustration, and I think righteous outrage, right? Um, it, it reached a point where you, you got what you saw in, in Jackson, um, which uh, I think has been well pointed out, uh, the largest demonstration in downtown Jackson since the Civil Rights Movement, since 1966 in the Meredith March, when James Meredith brought his March Against Fear into Jackson. I know. I, I've seen pictures of him. Uh, I, you know, I'd love to interview him again and say, OK, what are your thoughts on all this whole matter? But, you know, you, you wrote a really good column about the, the 1970 shooting. And it's it was so eerie reading that because a lot of the details of it, it's like what Faulkner said about, about you know, right. the past. It's like it seems like it's a complete rerun. I mean, you've got the Thompson tank, you've got all the, the military, you know, the type tactics You've got all the things that you're seeing kind of in some of the some of the protests today on that. Tell us a little bit, I mean, about the, the column and why you decided to write it. Well, you know, for the better part of the past 18 months, I was leading a commission at Jackson State to plan what was supposed to be a multi-day commemoration of the police shootings at Jackson State. That was going to include the class of 1970 getting to have a graduation for the first time. They didn't get to graduate. They had their diplomas mailed to them, right? Um, they were going to get to walk across the stage and receive their actual degree for the first time. It was um, honorary degrees were going to go to the families of Philip Gibbs and James Green, the two young men who were killed. They were going to receive honorary doctorates. We had multiple days of events planned out actually throughout the entire spring semester, and all of that got canceled. And it struck me when I wrote that uh, op-ed, uh, it struck me that in 2020, exactly 50 years later, our community was facing a tragedy uh, of similar proportions as what had happened in 1970. And the class of 2020 and the class of 1970 at Jackson State will be, of course, forever linked in that way. And so I wanted to highlight that. And as a historian, I really do believe that we have to understand our past to understand where we are today. And there's a lot of cliches around history, but there's a reason why, why they're cliches, right? Those who don't know their past are doomed to repeat it. And, I, I, you know, we see that over and over again. And so I really felt like, one, for our community at Jackson State, I needed to highlight what had happened and the fact that the Jackson State shootings in 1970 have been obscured throughout history for a number of different reasons. And I wanted to show that what had happened at Jackson State was not a product of any kind of 
criminality on the part of our students, on the part of our community, on the part of of the people who were the real victims in all of it. And I think that is also uh, very directly connected to the pandemic. The people who are suffering the most, the people who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and coronavirus are poor people, people of color. Um, and so you really are seeing the same things happening again, just in a, in, in a new context. And so my hope was that maybe it would uh, inspire some, some thoughtfulness around those issues. And, you know, in the context of what took place over the last couple of weeks with um, the, the protests around George Floyd and others, it, seemed, it seems even more pertinent uh, now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, history definitely does rhyme. And I mean, and, and you're, I think you really just you nailed it right there with the pandemic. I think that, it, you know, you just have this sense right now that the wheels are off. You know, you know, I, I, I joked with my wife the other day and, I, you know, it's not really funny, but I mean, I said, I think I know what it feels like when you're on the plane and it's going down. You know, and you get that sense. And, you know, I try to keep an optimistic viewpoint of things, but you're just kind of like, okay, I have no control over a lot of this. This is, you know, this is driving me crazy. And then I start looking on social media, which is not reality. I will put that out there right now. But you start seeing friends that, you know, normally you're, you know, you work with or, you you know, you've gotten to know over the years. And, and you know, they're usually very optimistic and they're scared. You know, when you right. say when you see comments like I feel like I'm being hunted. You know, and you're just like going, no. And so, you know, and I've posted a couple of times. I'm just like, look, I mean, I'm here to listen. And but I want to get past listening because at this point, listening is great, but we got to act on it. So right. the question is, and, and one of the reasons why I want you on today, because I think you're pretty sharp about this. How do we get the conversation started? I mean, seriously, I mean, how do we talk? How do we get past the, the old tropes, the old cliches? How do we just I mean, because for me, I, I think. It needs to be down on a personal level, and you just look somebody in the eye and say, okay, you're hurting. What can I do? Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of good change starts in that way, but it also starts by communities demanding it. And what you've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks and what you saw in Jackson this weekend uh, and across the state of Mississippi were people across our state demanding change. And it's going to require holding our leaders accountable for that change and demanding some, some sensible um, changes that could impact and help all people in Mississippi. And I think that includes getting out to vote and, and holding our leadership accountable in that way. Uh, and it just it does require all of us to do a little bit more than what we've done before. None of us are going to change this thing by ourselves. But all of us can do a little more, right? And all of us can do something. And as we we push um, just a little bit more, each of us, we can start to to bring some change. Um, you know, things like demanding that our police forces are demilitarized and that they are better trained and equipped with tools to respond to communities that don't include force and violence, right? Um, things like prioritizing education. Um, things like putting more resources into social services that help people, particularly in times of crisis like what we're finding right now. So I think there, there are opportunities out there, and it does feel like we've reached a tipping point, that we're at a moment in time where maybe our leaders are going to start listening and start um, acting on it. And if they don't, it's incumbent upon us to demand that that happens. 
you know, in 1968, the Kerner Commission, and I don't know if you're familiar with their report, um, Lyndon Johnson, you know, basically what happens is there's there's something bad happens. The president says, oh, this is this is bad. I need to look like I'm doing something. I'm going to do a commission. At least that's what how they used to do things anyway. But they came up with um, the chairs of, was Governor Otto Kerner, Jr. of Illinois, and they had 11 minute presidential uh, commission. And basically they laid out a plan that if we did that, if they'd actually enacted it, I think that we wouldn't be in the situation right now. But it was a lot of the things that you just said. And this was from 1968. What is it going to take for us to say, okay, we, we're now against we're now against the wall here. We need to actually act. I mean, is this do you think this is enough of a tipping point to get us to act on on some really hope, good ideas? I, I hope so. Um, I, I don't know that. I mean, far too often we've had commissions like that. I am uh, familiar with Kerner. Um, commissions that are enacted that basically just are an attempt to save face, right? They, right. They, here we are. Yeah, exactly. We're papered over. That, that's exactly right. And they haven't been equipped with the tools to do real change. But I look at places like Minneapolis, right, where – I mean, you would have council... expected that to happen in Minneapolis, for instance. You know, I mean, well, that, that's what kind of surprised me, but come to find out, They've had a lot of issues in their police department over the years. Well, and, and one thing that I try and talk about quite a bit is that Mississippi is not apart from America. It is a part of America. And the problems right. and issues that we face in Mississippi are American problems. They're not just southern problems, right? Racism didn't right. only exist in the south. It exists throughout America. And these issues are issues that we all face as a nation. And you do look at some of these places like Minneapolis and look at their city council and their discussions around how do they transform their police department, right? That's actually happening, and so that's moving into action. Our legislature is coming back into session here, right, pretty soon. Right. Um, hopefully in Mississippi, um, we'll see leaders say, you know, we've got to, uh, we've got to change. We've got to do something different. We cannot maintain the the old way of business. Of course, the problem is that um, there are pl plenty of people in power who are very happy with the, the status quo and the way things are. And unless enough of us start pushing them to change, it won't happen. And you certainly began to see that happening in the 1960s, right, due to grassroots movement and people demanding change in, in and for their communities. And you're seeing some of that now. I hope that momentum is maintained. And that um, then that we do have actual action and not just um, just talk and words. So we'll talk, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that in just a second. It's time for a quick break, and when we return, we'll continue with our conversation with Dr. Robert Luckett. And remember, if you have a question for our guest or would like to make a comment, you can give us a call at eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey, stay tuned. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
Hey, good morning. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. Robert Luckett, Associate Professor in the Department of History at Jackson State University and Director of the Marker Walker Center. And we've been talking a little bit about what's been going on in the world, in case you've uh, been, I guess, hiding out and have missed out, uh, with some of the protests that have been going on surrounding the George Floyd murder that happened. Gosh, it's hard to believe it's what two or three weeks now. I've totally lost track of time. And that's kind of one of the problems, I think, I've had in the last three months or so, I don't even know what day it is half the time. It's like, well, do I have a radio show today? Oh, it must be Monday. But anyway, uh, Robert's, of course, willing to take any questions or comments. And if you'd like to be part of the show, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Robert, once again, thank you for being on today. Um, this is a conversation that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I think we're right. at a point where, <laughs> you know what, I'm not sure what about 2020 doesn't make us uncomfortable at this point. And it's probably good that we get this out there and we talk about it and we be open and honest. And one of the things I've noticed on Facebook, uh, being the core center of the universe, is that people are talk, kind of talking past each other, you know, and that's how do how do we get past talking past each other? It's the whole, well, black lives matter. No, all lives matter. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're completely missing what I'm trying to say here. When you say that, how do we just say, OK, no, this is what I mean. And what can we do? Because it's it's very, very frustrating to see people do what about isms instead of addressing the point. Yeah, I think that's right on, and we often are very guilty of that, of just speaking past each other and not engaging actual dialogue. Now, I will say, as a white man in America, uh, and of course as someone who is a civil rights historian and does this work professionally, I, I engage this dialogue intentionally and have some comfort with it. But as you said, most people, most white people in particular, let's just be honest, are not comfortable with it because they're not comfortable – examining their past and not comfortable in examining even their unconscious bias and, and, and what does ultimately constitute racism. And I feel, if we're going to get past it, really a, a key part in all of this is white Americans, white Mississippians stand up and being willing to have a legitimate conversation with our brothers and sisters in marginalized communities about what's going on and to actually listen. And that's part of the problem. We don't often listen. And we have to, to move into being allies, for sure, being uh, people who want to stand for what is right. But also, it's incumbent upon white America to be advocates and to advocate for change and to advocate for justice because, frankly, it was our ancestors who built the system. And they built it from our founding fathers on the institution of slavery. And so we have to be an active part of the solution, not just stand people who are standing by in kind of silent support. I, I really think that we've got to be advocates. And that begins, though, by listening and by being uncomfortable, by having conversations that are difficult for us to have and, and to recognize that even in subconscious, unconscious ways that our everyday actions supplement white supremacy in America and supplement a power structure that has been around for a very long time. And it's only going to be really through our willingness to have conversation and dialogue and to take action that I think that we're going to see change. How do you do that? You have to create safe spaces for dialogue and for conversation. Yeah. You got to, people have to understand that you're not attacking them personally, but that you're trying to attack a system that undergirds 
all power in this country and has um, from the beginning of time. Well, that, and that's the hard part right there, that, that people don't feel like they're being attacked personally because they're thinking, wait a minute, I had to do this, this, and this to make it to where I am. My grandparents were good people or, you know, whatever the thing is. And, you know, for me, what hit it with me was I realized, you know, I've you know, I got a friend who's got this, a kid the same age as I do. And, you know, I don't generally worry about my son if he gets pulled over in a traffic stop, you know, but my friend does. And, and it was like, oh, because I had a little bit of skin in the game. I understand what it's like to be a father. You know, I was able to find that one thing that we had particularly in common and then build on it. And that was kind of what got the conversation started. And I think that's kind of I mean, this isn't a political issue this isn't shouldn't be a liberal or conservative issue this should be just a human issue i would think but we have a caller right now i'd like to to jump to him we've got um danny from pascagoula is on the line hey danny welcome to the show what's your comment hey how you doing well we talked about this a while back um i'm the brother that came from the north down to the south you know where i came from it was about culture uh, even though there might have been some indifference, you know, it was always uh, African-American, Italian, Jewish, Greek. You know, we never knew nothing about, you know, the white and the black game. You know, I, you know, the way we were taught, you know, you're one blood. We all got a little of each other's blood in us. If you look at history, you know, the Moors that went through uh, Europe and conquered and you know, we've conquered each other, so we all are part of one another. Um, I always tell people, if we can get away from that white-black thing, because to white to me is a piece of paper and black is the night. You know, it's uh, it's uh, we're 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 brothers in blood and we're brothers in culture. You know, we we see how we've gotten so much into that and how you know the world looks at America as, have you not grown up yet? Have you not known we all a part of history? Do we not know that uh, when one suffers, the other suffers? You know, that that's the key right there. And the idea about law enforcement, you know, my I, I've been around law enforcement about 10 years. My brother retired from NYPD. And... What you're taught in law enforcement, you're supposed to be a counselor as well as a police officer. You're supposed to be the neighborhood watchman. You know, that's how they teach you overseas in the U.K. You know, uh, you're supposed to be able to, you know, when you see people having um, problems and domestic situations, you're supposed to be able to be the arbitrator. That's a real police officer. And that's what I think when they redo and disband the police from being a uh, military and more law enforcement, more counselor, like they do in Pasadena. I love Pasadena. You know, most of the police officers here, they act like counselors. They act like friends. They grew up with some of the people. And that's why we don't have all that problems of violent situations. Matter of fact, they'll pull over a European-American and give him a hard time more than they would an African American, and 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 you can see the the change, and we need that kind of change. That Andy, I call it the Andy Griffith change, you know, where they become part of the neighborhood, not just another side of the neighborhood. You, you understand, Amen? And we're Christians. We must understand as being Christians, those that are Christ-like. If you follow in the way of Jesus, there's no violence. There's no picking up a gun and shooting a person and trying to kill him because he 
got on your property. You, you know, if we're going to be Christian nation, we must follow the ways of Christ. Not the way hey, Danny, so thank you so much for your call. I appreciate the great points. I appreciate it. Robert? Yeah, so, you know, unfortunately, many, many people, particularly in our black communities, haven't had that experience. And the truth is, race is an invention. It is created. We learn it at a young age. We're not born understanding race, um, but it's constructed in society. And yet, even though it's invented, that doesn't mean that it that it doesn't have real impact on us. And for so many of our African-American communities, uh, those people recognize the, the very real impact. And I, I think also what we're calling for is is justice, right, and human dignity. And there's no doubt that we have seen a lot of injustice in the history of this nation, but especially in the last couple of weeks. And so I, I don't know that we're at a point where we can just claim that we're, you know, that there is no race and that we're all just Christians. And we're frankly much more diverse than just a Christian nation. I I consider myself a Christian, but I also recognize that I have brothers and sisters from all kinds of religious and ethnic and racial backgrounds who ascribe to, to different philosophies. But the, the basic fundamental call for justice and in and, and our communities is one that I think really should be part of the major focus here. All right. We got Graham coming up next from Starkville. Hello, Graham. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I taught, uh, taught college here for, for a career and uh, am intimately concerned with, uh, with the these developments over the decades of changes and atrocities. And um, Dr. Luckett just just said a few minutes ago, we need a, a, some sort of quantum change, and all of a sudden I had an idea that I wanted to share, which was instead of, instead of using uh, coaches to teach history to, uh, to justify the affordability of, a, of, a, of an athletic uh, coach on the, in the uh, school teams, why don't we use? Why don't we train policemen and firefighters to to be uh, uh, athletic coaches or select them for that reason uh, or for, with that ability and let them become an intimate part of the youth uh, that they know and understand and and uh, and the youth likewise understand and and uh, know and love the police. I grew up in a small town in Canada, and I, I remember that the, the, they only had three policemen, and one of them was the chief. And, and the, the day cop used to come by uh, and umpire the baseball games for us, and it just suddenly occurred to me, there's a quantum change that uh, might have some financial benefits and certainly should have some social benefits, but we need to tra- uh, train policemen to be able to act as counselors, to have uh, lots of psychology instead of criminality uh, courses that they uh, seem to traditionally, and I don't, I'm not even familiar with what, <laughs> what that embraces, but uh, I just wondered if this was, a, was a, a worthwhile thought to think about. Anyway, thanks for... Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for calling. That's gr- some great points. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, that would, I mean, that's, Sounds like community policing 101 right there, doesn't it, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's right on. And first, let me um, say I don't want to just contribute to the stereotyping of coaches. 
has bad history teachers. I had two, I played high school basketball, and my high school basketball coaches were my history teachers, and they've had as a profound of impact on my life as, as anybody I've ever had in a classroom. So, but to the fundamental point, <laughs> I about that, to say the phones were lighting up. They were blaming you for that one. So, <laughs> um, the uh, the fundamental point though about um, training and, and equipping our first responders, our police officers, our firefighters, and others with the skills necessary to engage our communities in healthy and wholesome ways, as opposed to just being police enforcement, as opposed to, to being kind of militarized forces that, that try to, quote, maintain the peace through really what is violence. There are some good examples of that work going on. There are good examples of that type of training happening, and I, I do think that that is one of the many really sensible remedies that, like you said, it really shouldn't be a political issue. It's kind of common sense. Yeah, definitely on that. I liked um, the previous caller's comment about the Andy Griffith solution. You know, mm. but I mean that was that was the thing. I mean, I think there is, and you know, growing up, I knew the police in my neighborhood. I knew the mailman. I knew you know, and it's just like that. That actually probably was very helpful. You know, to know that. Yeah. All right. Well, this time for our last break. When we return, we'll wrap up the show with our guest, Dr. Robert Luckett. There's still time for you to give us a call. Our phone lines are open. If you have a question or comment, the number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm with Mississippi Today. I'm the editor-at-large there. Hey, today we've been discussing with our guest, Dr. Robert Luckett. He's the associate professor in the Department of History at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center. We've been talking a little bit about what's been going on in the news and talking about racial issues and inequities in the United States and ways that we can talk to each other, to be honest with you, to get that conversation going and to try to move kind of the the situation we're in for it a little bit. And of course, we would like your input. If you'd like to give us a call, there's still time for your question or comments. So you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Robert, you, um, you know, you talk about, you were talking earlier about how we need to get people to vote. We need to change things. And, you know, I mean, there have been issues all across the country with gerrymandering um, in the last decade of basically making bulletproof uh, districts where people that have been incumbents can never get knocked out. So we've got that to go up against. You've had low voter turnout. And I know during the 60s, that was kind of the focus was getting people registered to vote and exercising their right. How do we move past some of the obstacles out there and get people, incur- you know, because if if Saturday was any indication around the state, then obviously young people are fired up and will vote. However, historically, they have not 
in, in big numbers had gone out and voted. How do we how do we get this to, to change? Well, and I think we have to be eminently concerned about the upcoming November elections in the context of the pandemic. And as American citizens, we should demand that those elections be held free and as accessible to as many people as possible and be really concerned about any attempts to restrict the right to vote. Because it is through our through our voices at the polls that we impact the, the legislation that governs us on a, on a daily basis. But I also think one of the lessons of the Civil Rights Movement was that the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, landmark pieces of legislation that were vital victories and incredibly important, that they didn't solve the fundamental issues, underlying issues uh, of racism and uh, of racist distinctions amongst people in America. And so being poor in America, being black in America wasn't solved by being able to sit at a desegregated lunch counter or being able yeah. to even afford to eat at a desegregated lunch counter. Being able to vote didn't guarantee your right to not face violent assault, as we saw in 1970 at Jackson State with the Gibbs Green tragedy. Um, and, and so there are still changes that we must demand that go beyond just fundamental civil rights. And it's, it's a recognition of, of human rights, uh, of human dignity, and of a right to justice, right? A right to, to, to demand that, that people be held accountable for, for their actions and not for there to be a double standard based on race. And there is very clearly, it's indisputable. You can look across America and see that black communities, marginalized communities, face a different standard than affluent and white communities. I have seen over... I guess the last three or four weeks, um, a change on, you know, maybe it's because I've managed to filter out enough people or because the algorithm is kind to me or whatever the case is. But I've just noticed more and more people that I normally wouldn't expect to say, no, enough is enough, starting to say enough is enough. And I think that conversation is starting to happen. And it's starting on a, like I said, a human level and not on a political level. But how else can we get this conversation going? Because, I mean, there have been attempts, you know, everything from prayer breakfasts or whatever else to get people together. Is this something that starts in a church or a synagogue or a mosque? Or is this something that we just need to, I mean, how do you, how do you get this conversation going and getting it to, to, to be widespread? Well, that's the crux of the problem. And that's really one of the, the hardest parts of all of this. It could start in churches. But I would go back to Martin Luther King's admonition that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America, and I don't think that that's particularly changed very much, right? And so how do we get our communities engaged in these conversations in really deliberate and intentional ways, I think, is, it, it is a crucial part of this. Um, and I, I think something you said earlier really is probably key to this it is in our individual human relationships. It's in examining ourselves and feeling as if we are in a safe enough space to have this honest dialogue. When I say we, I specifically mean white Americans and white Mississippians, that we are open to engaging and talking. And if you want real change to, to happen, I think we have to accept that responsibility. And it can't just be hefted on black communities to say, you've got to lead this. We have to step up to the plate and demand it. And so if white churches and, and white churchgoers in Mississippi started to say, 
we want to have this conversation and have it earnestly. If the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jackson or First Pres came to black pastors and said, we want to have this conversation with you, we want our communities to be in dialogue, then it would happen. And so it's going to require um, us as, as white Americans taking responsibility for that conversation and pushing it forward. And I recognize that's hard to do, but just even easing into it, the first little steps of making that attempt, I think is really key. Yeah. And you, and you touched on something too, a little bit earlier to where don't make it a personal thing. You know, I mean, right. like I said, it's, it's it could, because like I said, I, I know even personally, I mean, if somebody makes something personal to me, I tend to shut down. Right. And that's, 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 you know, and I, and I went through, I, mean, I did leadership Jackson, God, it's been nearly 20 years ago. And we did the race and gender uh, session, which is, right. uh, was very famous at the time. And, and, you know, like I said, I've, I'm like captain privilege here. I've got everything in the world, you know, I mean, I'm white dude. <laughs> so, right. um, I can't help it. I was born that way, you know, but it also means that, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of used to what I'm used to, but that session was good because it put me in a position of being the the odd man out, the the minority. And, you know, I mean, it was like, I was treated like I was the, you know, like I would be like that. It was, it was very, it was, and there was one person in our class that quit and walked out, you know, because yep. they couldn't take it. But for me, I was just kind of like, Oh, this kind of sucks. You know, I don't want to do this. I, I don't ever treat anybody like this intentionally. It was, but it was, you know, it takes little moments like that sometimes to make you realize, okay, maybe I'm in a bubble and I need to break out of it. Yeah. I, I think that is a great point. And you're right. That session in leadership Jackson was historically just famous for being so good at doing that. And I think that's an example of one of those safe places where, okay, someone stood up and left and quit, but at the same time, you still, most people there recognize that they were in a place where they could engage this in a safe way uh, and as a learning experience. And you have to create more of that and more opportunities um, for that to happen. But the, the, the thing about taking it personally that I think perhaps we could do more of is putting ourselves in the shoes of our black sisters and brothers and understanding what they are facing on a daily basis. Robert, thank you for joining us today. It was a great conversation and one that we needed to have, and I appreciate you taking the time. We've come to the end of another great show. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Robert Luckett, Associate Professor of the Department of History at Jackson State University and Director of the Margaret Walker Center for joining us today. Hey, if you'd like to hear the show again or any past episode, listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or download it on MPB Public Media app. Hey, now your talk's production of MPB Think Radio, produced by Michelle McAdoo. Coming up next, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. Y'all have a great week. We'll get through this and stay safe.